Well, we've been working through this series um, close to the last, building up towards Easter now, but this, this series that we've been working through, The Outlawed Jesus. For those of you who haven't been able to keep up with it, maybe you're here for the first time, the basic idea is this. All of us work through life with various laws and rules that we create for ourselves. Either we create them individually or society around us creates them for us. They are rules by which we live our lives. Now the reality is that those rules by which we live our lives are constructed and the Bible message comes to us and demands that no matter where we are in the whole of this world, no matter what our culture, no matter what society that we've grown up in, no matter what time in history we, we are living in this world, the message of the Bible demands that there will be elements of what we see as truth that the Bible will confront. Jesus will confront it, uh, no matter where we live. So there will be parts of the Bible message that we will find we will naturally agree with. And there will be other parts of the Bible message that we will find that we will naturally resist. Now Jesus, in one sense, comes and he acts as that outlaw to our truth. What we see as absolute. He comes and he rocks our foundations. He shakes where we are. He demands that we rethink. And at the same time, he brings not just a knocking down, but a rebuilding. He builds us up into a new way of thinking, a way which ultimately the Bible describes as being uh, transformed so that we become like him, so that we conform to his being. That's the message of the gospel's work in our lives, that, that the Christian faith is not about a put your hand up, yes, I'm a Christian, fill out a card, yes, I'm a Christian, say a prayer, yes, I'm a Christian. The Christian faith is about an ongoing life change. We're continuously being changed, continuously being shaped and, and reshaped and, and caused to rethink time and time and time again. Can I encourage you that that might at times be really uncomfortable? <laughs> You might find it really hard, situations in life coming into your, um, into your world, rocking you, shaping you, causing you to rethink, and then you suddenly realize, you come out the back end of it, and you realize God has been with me through that. And, and, I, I, and maybe I didn't really realize it at the time, but I, I recognized that I was kept, I was helped, I was strengthened at, at that point in time. And you realize that's God working in you. The power of the Holy Spirit working in you, reshaping you, causing you effectively to outlaw your own rules. You see how Jesus works? He comes in as the outlaw and he causes us to outlaw our rules so that his law becomes our law in our hearts. That's the kind of idea that we've been working through. The outlaw idea that I want to cover this afternoon is that Jesus comes as the outlaw to our ideas of duty and reward. Our ideas of duty and reward. One of the things that um, I hear so often in so many conversations, uh, maybe you might even be at the point of thinking, this is probably where I am. We work out, well, what, you know, at the end of the day, let's assume, just for a moment, I mean, obviously, I believe this, 
It's what we're about as a church. But you might not be here. But just let, if you're not at this point in your thinking, just assume for a moment that the idea of the God of the Bible is true. Now, I believe that to be absolute. (laughs) But just for a moment, if you're not there, just imagine for a moment that it is. If that God is true, the key question is, if it's true, how might I be in his heaven for all of eternity? How might I live? That's a, that's a big question, isn't it? If he's true, how might I live? How might I be accepted by that God? What's heaven like and how might I get there? One of the ideas that comes again and again into our thinking, in fact, I would say it's almost written into our natural being, is we assess ourselves and we decide, basically, am I good enough? Am I good enough to be in heaven? You know, if I weigh up how I've lived, if I weigh up the, the, the way I am compared to others on a scale, you know, that kind of scales of justice kind of idea, if I weigh up all of the dodgy stuff on one side and all of the good stuff on the other side, I, I'm, am I convinced that my good stuff on this side is going to be good enough? And many people would say, yeah, I'm convinced that my good stuff is good enough. But I believe, and I would suggest that you know this as well, that we might put that front on, but there is a deeper reality, a sense of our own conscience that tells us and is continually questioning, is that really true though? Am I really? Because I know the reality of me. I might be able to hide it from lots of people, but I know the reality of me. And actually, that good stuff that I think is good, when I really think about it, maybe it's not quite that good anyway. And maybe there are issues in life. Maybe I struggle to live the kind of life that I know I ought to live. Is that what the Christian message is all about? It's kind of summed up, I think, this idea of am I good enough? in uh, Emily Sunday's recent single called Heaven. The lyrics go, go like this. Oh heaven, oh heaven, I wait with good intentions, but the day it always lasts too long, and then I'm gone. In other words, she's saying, I think, she, she has this idea of heaven, and she looks forward at this day that she's living. And she has all good intentions to live a day that makes her good enough for heaven. And then by the end of the day, she realizes that that 12 hours has just been too long for her to sustain it. And I'm done. I'm gone. I'm finished. Is that how we think about the Christian faith? Is that how it works? Is there a kind of weigh it up, duty and reward kind of idea? Or does Jesus come in and challenge that idea? And challenge you and challenge me to say either, you know what? You are not good enough for heaven. Or, alternatively, you might be sat thinking, yeah, I know that. Alternatively, you might come in and say, well, we can, we can deal with that one way or the other. This parable, this story that Jesus told, I think gets right to the very core of this subject. 
works like this. Starts with the first opening phrase, gets us right on track, and it tells us that it's exactly about the question that we're asking. The kingdom of heaven is like. That's how it starts. The kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, it's like this. Now, one of the problems, let me just say straight off the bat, one of the problems with parables, when when we try to write too much into the idea, we strain it. Imagine a parable, it has has enough of an idea to give us certain pictures, but it doesn't tell the whole of the story. That's why Jesus told lots and lots and lots of parables, because if you bring them all together, then the combination of them all, it finally gives us a good picture. But we can't get a great picture from just one. We've got to build it up. So this is telling us just one aspect, and Jesus is saying, being part of the kingdom of heaven is like this. A landowner goes out. Landowner in those days was, um, obviously he's a wealthy man, and, and a landowner would probably quite likely have kind of many businesses going on at one time. Uh, a man of means, a man of wealth. There wasn't so many kind of corporate companies in those days. You were a wealthy man if you had, uh, if you had land, if you had uh, people working on the land. You might have a wine press. You might have uh, various other businesses going on. You might have some um, cloth manufacturing, a whole series of different businesses. This guy's business is a vineyard. And it's come to that point in the year where it's ready for harvest. And he goes out into the marketplace to collect workers. Now, it's clear that the way he's operating his business, he's he's a vineyard owner, and uh, he he goes out to gain extra workers uh, to cover the necessities of the harvest. That's how it works. Six, nine, twelve, three, and five o'clock in our time. That's the hours that he goes out. First thing in the morning... Later on in the morning, lunchtime, later on in the afternoon, and then last thing in the afternoon. You're working from six till six. That's around about the time that you have dawn till dusk. That's the kind of time that you would have been working. And he goes out, therefore, on five occasions, gathering people in and collecting more and more people to work in his vineyard. Now, if you picture the scene, I'm sure you can. You've probably seen enough movies to get an idea of how it would work. Uh, He goes down from his own location, probably close to the town. He goes down into the marketplace, and there in the marketplace is uh, the the labor exchange, for want of a better better term. A load of people down in the marketplace there, uh, and they're looking for work. Uh, Why are they looking for work? Uh, We think, obviously, in our culture, well, it's good to work, you know, get some extra income or get income to survive, uh, you know, pay the bills and all of that kind of thing. Uh, The reality is far, far deeper for these guys in this particular time in the history of the world. Uh, A day's work for many would literally be survive or die. It would literally be that. Uh, Most of us are coming from an environment where Uh, Our day-to-day work is incredibly important to us. But if we lose our job, we are unlikely to die. 
we're unlikely to die. We are so incredibly blessed in this country, in the countries that are probably mostly represented here, that if we lost our job, we are most unlikely to be imminently facing death. But, you know, that is the reality for many in the world today, isn't it? For a start, and it was the reality at this particular point in time. You lived and worked to survive. Sorry, you worked to survive, to live. And so we see this amazing contrast. One coming down, huge wealth coming down to people who are looking to survive day to day. He comes down and he meets the first workers. Takes them on and he agrees a wage for a day, a denarius. Now, pretty clearly from the archaeological research that has been done, a denarius was a fair day's pay. That's, it almost became a term, if you like, rather than just a monetary value. A denarius became almost more than that. So it might be a denarius and a half or two denarius, but it almost entered into the language, I'll pay you a day's pay. And so he comes down and he takes these first workers. They come along, they, they're harvesting the crop. Later on, he comes down, he collects some more. We can see the way that works out. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, verse 2, and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out, saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. In other words, that whatever is right was, was if you like, he's saying, I will be fair. I will be a, an honorable man in terms of taking you to work in my vineyard. So they go into the vineyard uh, and they work. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon did the same again. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing around. Fascinating, isn't it? Five o'clock in the afternoon, we've got probably about an hour's left, hour's work left. And he's collecting more people. Now, th there is a bit of a disagreement on, on the, the, how, what that would have meant to the first hearers. Some people think that would have been quite understandable because it was really important to get the uh, to get the uh, harvest in on the day. Others would have thought, others suggest that that's really quite strange because for it to drift over into the next day would not make a huge amount of difference. To be honest, that really doesn't matter too much. The point is, he gets them at five o'clock and they work about an hour. Now, contrast that with the guys who've turned up at six o'clock in the morning. These guys have done an hour's work and then he collects his foreman and he says to his foreman right now, go and pay them. Go and pay them. And so, he starts with the first. The workers, verse 9, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. would have been really surprising. For, as Jesus told that story, 
there would have been a, really? People would have been listening. They, they received a denarius for an hour's work. Well, that's strange, but what happens next would have been even more remarkable for the first hearers. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. In other words, the people who came right at the end and the people who had worked all day received the same. Sounds incredibly unfair, doesn't it? I don't know what your thoughts are as you hear that. Doesn't that sound unfair? That sounds, what's he doing? And that is exactly how the first workers respond. Say, what are you doing? We've been working since six in the morning. We've endured the heat of the day. We've worked we flogged ourselves all day, and you're giving us exactly the same as you gave these guys who turned up right at the end of the day and did the day an hour's work. They're receiving the same. What? That is so unfair. That's just outrageous. Being in the north of England, surrounded by good trade unionists, it would be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? Just hang on a sec. What's going on here? Let's stop. Let's remind ourselves of the context. A whole load of people who are there who are looking to do what? Who are looking to live. That's what they're there for. They are looking to live. And this landowner has come right at the end and he's given every single one of them from the very first to the very last the ability to live. It's great news, isn't it? So if we look at it from one side, we think, oh, that's really terrible. If we look at it from the other side and we realize no matter what the situation, no matter whether you've done an hour's work or whether you've done a full day's work, the landowner has caused you to live. But I think there's something even more powerful. Look at the way it actually works in verse 5. He went out again and again. And then in verse 6, it says, And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. Do you remember that stood in the playground getting picked for the football at playtime. And, you know, it was quite bizarre, wasn't it? You know, you've got 20 minutes playtime and the first 15 minutes is picking the sides. Uh, And the last five minutes is actually playing. But I don't know whether you were one of these 
I was at times, I was the guy that was the very last. It's like, I, it, it kind of changes, you know. I'll let you into a secret now for all of you, kind of, what's this all about? It changes over time. So when you're a little, one of the little lads in the playground, uh, you get picked last. And in fact, you might even be, oh, I don't want him on our team kind of thing. And you get shoved into the team. And, uh, and then as you get a bit bigger, you become one of the big boys and you then dole it out to somebody else. But these guys are there to survive. They're there just to live, to eat a crust, to have the money to buy the food, to eat some supper and have something to eat the following morning before they go out into the marketplace to try to live another day. And they've got to the end and they've got right to the very point of trying to survive and it looks like they've had it and the answer is no one has hired us. I don't know what they might have looked like. Maybe they were the weak. Maybe they were the broken. Maybe they were the ones who were ailing, aging. They were definitely the ones who by the end of the day, everybody had rejected. Everybody had just forgotten about these guys. It's it's, it's the end. We're not interested. You haven't got the capacity to survive the day and do a good day's work as far as we're concerned, so we're not going to hire you. Forget it. And this landowner goes out, and with an hour to go, he hires the people that are going to be ineffective. Doesn't that change the whole story? Doesn't that just completely rewrite in our thinking the way this story works? The landowner goes out at the end of the day and he brings in the sick and he brings in the broken and he brings in the ailing, all of the people that nobody else wants. He gives them an hour's work and then he gives them everything that they need to live. changes everything. What did Jesus say right at the very beginning? He said this, the kingdom of heaven is like. Being part of the kingdom of heaven is like this. Some of you are going to be called And you're going to have the ability and you're going to have the gifts and you're going to have the response to be able to work and to commit and to be involved and to all of those kind of things. And and you're you're going to just deliver and you're going to receive life. And then as time goes on, as time goes on, there is going to be the broken. And there is going to be the, the ones who can't deliver. And I'm going to carry them in as well. And will bring them in. Now this, actually, this story comes right on the back of one of the stories that we looked at earlier on in the series. All of the disciples have been looking at this rich man who's walked away and he's not able to let go of his riches. 
to come to Jesus. And they turn around and they say, we've let go of everything. We've given up everything to come and follow you. Surely, therefore, we must be the ones who are like what? Who are like the very first workers. The ones who've given everything. The ones who've really committed. And Jesus says, but there's going to be those who are going to come right at the end. And they won't look anything like you who've been delivering right the way through. What does that tell us, therefore, about the kingdom of heaven? It tells us at least this to start with. It tells us it has got absolutely nothing to do with what you deliver. The kingdom of heaven has got nothing to do with how good you've worked. So you turn up and you, you are called and you respond to that call and you, you deliver. And what do you receive at the end of it? You receive life. And then it might be that you come right at the end or you're, you're broken, spiritually broken emotionally broken. You're broken by the issues of sin in this world. And you hear the call and you respond. And like many people, you just kind of, you just kind of bounce along the bottom. You don't quite get going. Do you, do you've, some of us feel like that sometimes. We feel, we look around at other people who are Christians and we say, I'm just not like that. I've got these issues in my life that I'm continuing to fight with. I just feel like I'm bouncing along the bottom. I'm messing up here. I'm messing up there. I'm just not working in the way that others are working, if we want to put that kind of picture on it. I'm just bouncing along. And then what do you get at the end of it? You get life. You get exactly the same as those who have been able to commit and to give and to everything. You receive the very means to live. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. You see, if we think about the way we would expect heaven to work. We would say exactly what we said at the beginning. I work out whether I'm good enough, whether I've delivered well enough, whether all of my good has been heavy enough to outweigh the bad, whether my work has been acceptable, whether everything that I've committed has been enough And Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to turn that upside down. I'm going to roll it up into a little ball. I'm going to throw it away because it is absolutely not about that. It is absolutely about me, the one with the riches, pouring out my grace on you. It's about me pouring out my grace on you. On you, And I will pour out my grace on you, whether you come right at the beginning or whether you come right at the end, whether you're able to deliver incredibly well or whether you bump along the bottom. It is nothing to do with your ability to fulfill your duty. 
It is everything to do with you coming into my vineyard. It is everything to do with you receiving the invitation to come and be part of my team, <laughs> be part of my crew, be belong to me. The broken, the ones who can't deliver, the ones who are failing, Jesus says, I will pour out my grace on you. Grace. The very center of the whole of the idea of the Christian faith. It's about God breaking into our world and coming along and meeting with those who are right at the very the very point of realizing that they are in desperate need and he says, I know you are and I'll pour out my grace upon you. I'll pour out everything that I have into you. Because what does it say right at the very end? Verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. In other words, those who who realize that they are broken, it's a theme that Jesus brings again and again, those who realize that they are the broken ones are the ones who will receive. He put it like this to another group of people. He said, it's not the, the well that need a doctor, it's the sick. It's the sick that need a doctor. You think, you, you think you're well? Well, you don't need me. You think you're sick? You know you're sick, then you do need me. And then he turned around and he said, you know what, it's, the, it's about righteousness. It's about goodness. Do you know that you're not right? Do you know that you're broken? <laughs> then I'm here. And when you realize that, when you realize actually, I, I, I am and you are, when we analyze it, when we realize it, we are far more the ones who are left behind in the marketplace at the end of the day. When we try to start measuring ourselves against everybody else around, we realize I'm the one that's in the marketplace. I'm the broken. I'm the one who can't deliver. I'm the one who can't stand up through the heat of the day. It's just too much for me. I'm going to get beaten down by that. I'm going to get broken by it. And Jesus says, will you come along here? And I will pour out my life to you. I will give you the means to live for all of eternity. What does that do? I, I think it, it, that will affect, that idea of the Christian faith will affect you and me. We're, we're, we're going to be in two groups. We're either this afternoon, we're going to be people who are listening to that and we're thinking, hmm, just come into terms with this Christian message. Don't know whether I believe yet. What does it say to you? It might say, to you, if you've been a Christian for a short time or a long time, it's going to say something to you as well. So what about us who might be just coming to terms with the Christian message? The first thing it might say is you might be really quite angry about that. Because grace is incredibly frustrating, incredibly annoying, and actually quite offensive. Because it says this. No matter what has gone on in the background. No matter what has gone on in the past. No matter what is going to go on in the future. It is not about what you deliver. 
It is about my goodness to you. Now that can be really frustrating. Because that means that it's no longer us who are able to earn the right to heaven. It's about the idea that God can pour out that goodness on us. He poured that goodness out on a young man called Saul. We've talked about this on many occasions. Saul was a a really kind of zealous, committed follower of God. Only he didn't have a clue about Jesus. In fact, he found Jesus wholly offensive. And when these Christians started talking about knowing God as Jesus, coming to faith in Jesus as the Son of the living God, he was incensed. So much so that he rained terror on Christians and he ended up being effectively a killer of Christians. And then God spoke to him through Jesus. I wonder what it must have been like for those who were the families of the people who Saul had put in prison, had stolen possessions, had caused the death of family members. I wonder how, how it would have felt for those other family members who suddenly realized that the way that God works is to pour out his goodness to people who don't deserve it. It can be incredibly frustrating. And then we suddenly realize that it is the very idea that fills us with absolute hope. Because we suddenly then might realize that it doesn't actually matter therefore for me what's gone on in the past. What might go on in the future? The issues that I'm facing right now. It is not about my delivery and my fulfilling a duty and my keeping a record of enough goodness to be accepted by God. It is filled with hope is the idea of grace. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're just working these things through. That's what the Christian message is about. It's about receiving the grace of God in Jesus, who's the one who pours out the opportunity to live. Now, you might be a believer in Jesus today. It says just as much to you and me. Because we can become Christians holding on to the idea of grace, loving the idea of grace. It's amazing. It's wonderful when we first become a Christian. It's the very thing that fills me with hope. And then we turn another corner and we start to say, now I'm a Christian. It's all about how good I do, how well I work, how effective I am. And all of that grace that was revealed to us, that was so amazing, that was so liberating, that was so freeing, disappears. And we end up suddenly under a whole new burden of working so desperately hard so that we're like in that class throwing our hand up saying, please me, am I good enough? Have I worked hard enough? 
My Christian life is filled with a constant assessment of how am I doing? How well have I done? And the reality is that when I'm brutally honest, I end up like Emily Sunday saying, the day has been too long for me to be good enough. (laughs) And then Jesus says, I know. But my day, my day, my long day, where I was nailed to a cross, where I bore all of your inability to deliver day by day, that day for me is good enough, is long enough, is effective enough for every one of your days of failure. Because my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus said, I have come to set you free. Free from what? Well, free from sin, for one. But free from the burden of being good enough. Because if we carry on wearing that burden, if we carry on trying to carry it, the more we carry it, the more we realize the responsibility of being good enough, the heavier and the heavier and the heavier it becomes. It's like carrying something that seems to every day grow in weight. And it crushes us and it breaks us and we end up on our knees. And Jesus says, I've come to free you from that. I've come to deliver to you the great news. It's about grace. My free, willing provision for you. Just like this landowner. Who when there's the grumbling from those who are really ticked off because they only got a day's pay, which was what was agreed in the first place anyway. He says, am I not being unfair to you, friend? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give you the one, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I give you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Aren't I the kind of God who just pours out life to those who are able to deliver and those who are unable to deliver? Now, just maybe, maybe you're a believer in Jesus this afternoon who is just like one of those grumbling workers who's kind of sat saying, these are the people call themselves Christians and they're just not delivering. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. But I'm going to pay them anyway. They're going to receive exactly the same as you. That's great news because none of us actually deserve it anyway. So get over yourself. I am the one who can pour out my goodness. And when we realize that that is what God is like, it is freeing and liberating. 
But it also demands that we respond when he comes into the marketplace and says, come. What do we do? Do we say, "Um, well, it's only an hour left in the day. I'll I'll sack it today. I'll I'll come back in the... I'll, I'll come back tomorrow. Or do we say, no, the kind of provision that this landowner gives is so incredible. He will give life now. I will respond. 